I'm Pastor Ron Hudson. I'm the lead pastor here at Calvary Baptist. And we are in week two of our series, Becoming Incredible. Becoming Incredible. Last week, we talked about despair and what despair is. We said that despair has some ingredients. Despair means that you're trapped, that you can't get out, you're stuck, and that you have no purpose. You feel like you have no purpose, and there is no legitimate way out. Maybe you could find a way out, but that would require violating your character or your integrity, and so you feel like you're stuck, and you have no hope. And this is what despair is. Despair means being trapped with no purpose, no legitimate way out, and no hope. And the antidote to despair is practicing hope. In fact, becoming incredible means practicing hope. And this whole series is about family. It's about how do we do family well? How do we, as husbands, wives, um, single moms, single dads, whatever your family looks like, as children, as parents, as brothers and sisters, how do we do family well in a way that honors Christ? And part of the way we do that is by practicing hope. And so we talked about donkey. How many of you donkeyed this week? Anybody? Okay. So donkey is a code word that we came up with as a church that when you're starting to feel despair creep in, you start to feel trapped, you start to feel like there's no hope, you start to feel like you have no legitimate way out, then you say, donkey! And donkey is, is kind of like Christian swearing, okay? <laughs> it's a way to signal to your family and the people around you, I need some prayer, I need some hope, I need you to help redirect my mind to this place. Because I'm about to go down a road that I know is unhealthy for me and unhealthy for all of us, and I'm probably going to take all of you with me. So donkey! I donkeyed this week. Um, I, I was sitting in my chair at home. I, I like to code. I'm working on a web application. And I was coding, and I got up out of the chair, and I took one step, and then my big toe just curled up underneath itself, except the toenail stayed forward. You know what I'm talking about? I just happened to just catch it like that, and it just like, and it, I felt it. I, I could have swore I broke my toe. It still hurts really bad. And I, I fell on my face. I went down in just extreme pain. And I'm crying in bed there. And I'm like, oh, it hurts, it hurts, it hurts. And then I get up and I'm like, I'll just walk it off. I think it'll be fine. I'll just walk it off. It's going to be good. I didn't really break it. And so I'm like walking it off. And it's not working. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just going to walk it off. And so then, you know, a little bit later, I put the kids to bed. I sit down. My wife's sitting on the other side of our bedroom. And I'm just, I have my foot up on like a, a little like ottoman thing. And I just, it's just throbbing. You know, and I took some like Tylenol or something, and it just said, uh, and I just said, donkey, and told my wife, and she prayed for me. And in that moment, you know, I just wanted to despair. I'm trying to do good. I'm trying to do the right things. And here, now I've got this injury that's going to be with me for a few weeks. And many of you donkeyed this week. Um, someone just donkeyed in the hallway right before I came in here. But it's that, that code word of saying, man, I, I, need, I need you to enter into this space and pray with me. Talk to me. Be with me. Um, we said that there's three major ways that culture teaches us to deal with despair. Number one is to grind, to just try harder. Number two is to escape, which means to try later. We're going to talk a little bit more about that today. And then the third one is to give in. And in the movie, we saw Dash and Violet give in. We saw Helen grind, desperately trying to hold her family together again. She was just trying harder and harder. And then we saw Bob escape. And this week, we're going to pick up, and I want to show you a clip, and then we'll talk about it. So I'm going to play this. Hopefully we have sound and everything. 
can use the water in the air. There is no water in this air. What's your excuse? You run out of muscle? I can't just go smashing through walls. The building's getting weaker by the second. It's gonna come down on top of us. I wanted to go bowling. All right, stay right by my tail. It's gonna get hot. Getting a drink. All right, had your drink. Now I want I you know, to. I know. Freeze. Police officers. <laughs> that was way too close. We are not doing that again. Verify you want to switch targets. Over. Trust me, this is the one he's been looking for. back by 11. I said I'd be back later. I assumed you'd be back later. If you came back at all, you'd be back later. Well, I'm back. Okay. Is this rubble? It was just a little workout. Just stay loose. You know how I feel about that, Bob. Darn you, we can't blow cover again. The building was coming down anyway. I what? <sighs> You knocked down a building? It was on fire, structurally unsound. It was coming down anyway. Tell me you haven't been listening to the police scanner again. Look, I performed a public service. You act like that's a bad thing. It is a bad thing, Bob. Uprooting our family again so you can relive the glory days is a very bad thing. Reliving the glory days is better than acting like they didn't happen. Yes, they happened. But this, our family, is what's happening now, Bob. And you are missing this. I can't believe you don't want to go to your own son's graduation. It's not a graduation. He is moving from the fourth grade to the fifth grade. It's a ceremony. It's psychotic. They keep creating new ways to celebrate mediocrity. But if someone is genuinely exceptional, this then This is not about you, Bob. This is about Dash. You want to do something for Dash? Then let him actually compete. Let him go out for sports. I will not be made the enemy here. You know why we can't do that. Because he'd be great! This is not about you! <laughs> All right, Dash. I know you're listening. Come on out. Bye. You too, young lady. Come on. Come on out. It's okay, kids. We're just having a discussion. Pretty loud discussion. Yeah, but that's okay. Because what's important is that Mommy and I are always a team. We're always united against uh, the forces of... Uh, Pig-headedness? Uh, I was going to say evil or something. We're sorry we woke you. Everything's okay. Go back to bed. It's late. Night, Mom. Night.
So, notice how he says, what's important is your mommy and I are always united against the forces of uh, uh, and then he he can't think. He can't think. Mommy and I are always united, but he can't think. What are they united against? What are they a team for? They're not. The clip starts with Bob literally trapped in a building that is on fire. He's trapped there with his friend who was just trying to be a friend who just wanted to go bowling. I wanted to go bowling, he says to him. He's trapped there with his friend. And his only way out is to use his destructive superpower to break through the building and save these people. He really has two choices. Either he could stay in the building and burn and die, or he could use his superpower and break through the wall. What's he going to do? What's he going to do? If he uses his superpower and breaks down this wall, he's putting at risk his friend's life. He's putting at risk his family's life. As you saw in the clip, they've moved several times. They keep getting relocated because Bob just wants to relive the glory day. They just keep getting relocated because Bob can't let this go. So, it's a hard choice. How did Bob get here? How did Bob go from harmless listening to the police scanner to endangering the life of his friend, forcing his friend to assault a police officer? How did he get here? Escape. In fact, in the clip, he literally has to escape the burning building. What is escape? What is escape? And how does it work? Last week we said there's three major ways that people deal with despair, right? You either grind, or you escape, or you give in. But what is escape? How does escape work? Escape has three ingredients. The first is an object of desire. You have to have an object of desire. In film and in books and TV, if you're writing a story, You have to give your character an object of desire. Every character in the story has to have an object of desire, and then the story is about how they fight and they struggle to achieve their object of desire. And by the end of the film, we have to resolve all of the object of desires or else it's not an interesting story. That's why sometimes a book isn't very good or a movie doesn't work because this person had an object of desire and by the end of the film, there hasn't been transition and they haven't achieved it or they haven't learned or grown or changed. Violet... The daughter, she just wants to be normal. She just wants to have a normal teenage life. That's her object of desire. Dash just wants to play sports. Sports is Dash's object of desire. I could play sports and I could do great. Helen wants to feel safe. She wants to hide their abilities, shelter the family, so they all feel safe. And Bob wants to feel super again. Bob wants purpose and meaning in life. And the story is about the whole family's struggle for their objects of desire and the drama that creates. So, is every character escaping in the story? No. Escape has two more ingredients. Object of desire is one. The second is the ability to see multiple paths forward. If you are escaping, when you get stuck and something, a roadblock comes in your way, that doesn't stop you. If you're in escape, you're going to find another way to get what you want. If one way doesn't work, you'll find another way. You'll call another person. You'll go to another place. You'll just keep trying. In fact, Bob has tried multiple times in multiple places, and he keeps going back to the same thing over and over again. He keeps finding a way to show up and save the day and be the good guy. 
It's revealed in the movie that the Incredibles have been relocated many times. And Bob just keeps finding a way to go back to this. When you are obsessed with your object of desire, then you won't be stopped by obstacles in your path. You'll just try another path. And another, and another, you get your object of desire. Sound familiar? Sound kind of like addiction? Yeah. That's exactly how addiction works. But there's one more ingredient to escape. The last ingredient to escape is the conviction that you can actually achieve your object of desire. The true belief that I could get this thing. I could really get this thing if I tried. I know I could get it. I know I could get there. I just need one more shot. I'm almost there. There's got to be a way. I could do this if you'll give me a chance. So the three ingredients of escape are an object of desire, the ability to see multiple paths forward and not be slowed down or, or detoured and have this like, kind of grit to keep going, and also the conviction that I could get my object of desire. So what's the difference between escape and hope? What's the difference in escape and hope? I want to show you another clip. Still? Match, Mr. Incredible. Oh. Room is secure. Commence message. Hello, Mr. Incredible. Yes, we know who you are. Rest assured, your secret is safe with us. My name is Mirage. We have something in common. According to the government, neither of us exist. Please pay attention as this message is classified and will not be repeated. I represent a top secret division of the government designing and testing experimental technology and we have a need of your unique abilities. Something has happened at a remote testing facility. Huh? What? Dinner's ready. Okay, okay. Although it is contained within an isolated area, it threatens to cause incalculable damage to itself and to our facilities, jeopardizing hundreds of millions of dollars worth of equipment is and research. In there? <laughs> it's a TV, trying to watch. Because of its highly sensitive nature. Well, stop trying. It's time for dinner. One minute. If you accept, your payment will be triple your current annual salary. Call the number on the card. Voice matching will be used to ensure security. The supers aren't gone, Mr. Incredible. You're still here. You can still do great things. Or you can listen to police scammers. Your choice. You have 24 hours to respond. Think about it. Is this hope? Feels like hope. Is hope a feeling? Is hope an emotion? See, before this clip, Bob had just lost his job. He literally choke slammed his boss through several walls. And then he gets home 
He's completely dejected. He's completely down. And then he has this temptation, this moment, this thing. The object of his desire is placed right in front of him. You could be super again. You could go get this. Like it's right there. And he sits back and he looks at all of the images. Is this, is this hope? It looks like hope, right? It feels like hope to Bob in this moment. It's like, this is the answer. This will take care of the money problem that we have. This will allow me to do the things that I want to do. This will answer all of my problems. This is tailor-made, an opportunity just for Bob to get his object of desire and to take care of his family. Isn't that what hope is? A feeling of positivity and possibility? No. Hope is not a feeling. Rick Schneider got his PhD from Southern Methodist University. And then he spent his entire career at the University of Kansas where he literally wrote the book on how hope works. It's a fascinating book. He, he explains that hope is not a feeling or an emotion. It is a way of thinking. It's a cognitive framework. It's a way of thinking about things when they come into your life. It's a different way of thinking. And people who are full of hope think differently than people in despair. And that makes sense, right? It is how they think that gives them hope. People with hope demonstrate these three traits, okay? When you have hope, you have the ability to set goals. You feel like you could set goals. Remember when you're in despair and you're broken and you feel like you have no ability to set goals? There's no even reason to try. You've just given up because you're in despair. People with hope have the ability to see multiple paths forward. They don't get deterred when something doesn't work the first time. They, they can see, well, I could try this way. Well, I didn't get that job, but I can, I can apply for another job, or I could do another thing, or, you know, there's another thing I can try. People with hope have a strong belief that they can accomplish their goal, that they can get done what they really want to get done, that they can accomplish their goal. But wait a second, doesn't this look familiar? Doesn't this look familiar? Escape, having an object of desire. Hope, the ability to set goals, an object of desire. Escape, the ability to see multiple paths forward. Hope, the ability to see multiple paths forward. Escape, conviction that I could get my object of desire and hope, a strong belief they can accomplish their goal. Wait, how could this be? How could this possibly be? that hope and escape look like pretty much the same thing. How is that possible? It's because we're hardwired for hope. As human beings, you and I are hardwired for this. It's in your genes. It's in your DNA. It's how you were created by God. God created all of us hardwired to have an object of desire. And he gifted us with abilities to create and build and pursue limited, limited, limitless passion and pursue our object of desire. He gifted us with intuition and belief that we can really do what we set our minds to. And in the creation story, God said, this is all very good. This is good. But the enemy of God had a different plan. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, and he says, and you... The church at Ephesus, the Christians who had believed on Christ in chapter 1, you hath he quickened, he's made you alive. 
who were dead in trespasses and sins. That's in disobedience to God. Wherein, in times past, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. You see, there's another spirit besides the Holy Spirit that works in the children of disobedience, as the Bible calls it. This is the enemy of God, the prince of the power of the air, Lucifer and his fallen angel. And Lucifer wants to be your object of desire. In fact, he was jealous of God being man's object of desire, and he wanted to take that place. So he goes on. Verse 3, children of disobedience, among whom you and me, all of us also walked. We had our conversation. This is how we lived our lives in the past times before we came to know Christ in the lusts of our flesh. That means bodily desire. Fulfilling the desires of your body, your flesh, and of your mind. And we're by nature children of wrath, even as others. We all have had destructive objects of desire. We've all had very destructive objects of desire at different points in our life. Every single one of us. It's like we have a slot in our chest, you know, and you could take and you could put in the object of desire, and that becomes then the thing that fuels and feeds your whole life. Some of us have had more outwardly destructive behaviors and desires than others, but we've all had destructive objects of desire, and these destructive objects of desire lead us to exploit other people and ourselves. They lead us to exploit other people and ourselves. They lead us to sin. They lead us to destructive choices, to harm ourselves, to harm other people through our choices. Disobedience to the order that God has given. It's not that God destroys things when we disobey. It's not that he says, well, I'm so mad at you because you did this, so I'm going to kick over your fun. It's that disobedience and the choices that we make when we disobey are just inherently harmful to the life that we genuinely need and want to live. Disobedience to God is incompatible with joy, love, peace, kindness, what the Bible calls the fruit of the Spirit. The commandments of Christ are for building up, not destruction. So in verse 4, it says, God who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, He's quickened us. He's made us alive together with Christ. By grace you're saved. And has raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. And Christ saw our situation, that we were stuck, that we were stuck in despair and chasing after harmful, addictive things that we all had objects of desire that we were chasing after, that were consuming us. And he said, I want to help you. I love you. And he paid the debt for our release from sin, so that sin doesn't have to have power over us. He defeated sin. He defeated that so that we could then be released from the bondage of our objects of desire, released from the penalty of sin, forgiven, but not from addiction. What? You see, when Christ died on the cross, he died to pay the penalty of your sin, to release you from sin, 
but not from addiction. What? Well, it's complicated. How many of you, as a Christian, have prayed, maybe at this altar, maybe at another altar, said, God, I need you to take this from me? Anybody? Something in your life? God, I want you to take this from me? I have. Did he take it? There's a handful of you that might come up and say, God took this from me. There's a whole lot more of us, myself included, that would say, no, he didn't. I went home and I did the same thing again. And the next week, I did the same thing again. So did you not mean it? Did you not pray hard enough? Did God not love you enough? Is God fake? Is this just a bunch of hogwash? Why didn't he take addiction? Why didn't he take that cycle and just kind of mess that up and take that out of us, that addictive tendency, that addictive cycle? Why didn't he just remove that thought process and pattern from us? Why? The Bible says he freed us from sin, the power of sin, but many of us have still continued in the same cycles of behavior, even when we read the Bible, even when we've come to Christ. Addiction and escape is a corruption of the engine of hope. Addiction is a corruption of the engine of hope. If God were to remove the parts of us that can become addicted, then he would also have to remove the parts of us that can hope. We have to understand that. Addiction, the same engine that leads us to addiction is the same engine that God put in us designed for hope. Hope. The ability to set goals. The ability to see multiple paths forward. To not get stuck just because you tried one path but cannot go another. The strong belief that you can accomplish your goal. We need this engine of hope to do the good works that God has prepared for us to do. There's only one way to beat addiction, and this is controversial. Our church has uh, two addiction recovery meetings that meet every week. We have a ladies' meeting on Thursdays, men's meeting on Tuesdays, and this is controversial. There's only one way that I know to beat addiction, and that is to replace one obsession with another. Replace one obsession with another. That's the only way I know that really works to beat addiction, to find a new obsession. You're hardwired for it. If you quit drugs, then maybe you become addicted to pornography and you can't stop that and you find that's just as bad or worse. Maybe you quit smoking and you instantly gain 20 pounds. Why? Because you're trying to fill the hole in your soul with cake. <laughs> but it doesn't work. You have this hole, and it needs to be filled with an obsession. You quit your obsession with sleeping around, and you turn to workaholism, right? You quit your obsession with workaholism and turn instead to alcoholism. You quit your bad obsession, and now you just stare mindlessly, you know, because we're Christians. We quit our bad obsession of all these things that are on the list of things that bad people do, and instead we stare mindlessly at our phone, not communicating with our family, not talking to our kids, 
because I just can't seem to take myself away from this Facebook that might give me a little laugh if I keep scrolling. We are hardwired for obsession. We're hardwired for hope. Or you obsess about your own selfish desires to have everything be about you. The only way to get rid of an obsession is to find a new one. We're hardwired for it. So where's, where's hope? Jesus is offering this. Jesus is offering to become your obsession. That's the whole of the gospel. Jesus is not interested in being a consultant on the side. He's not interested in being a guru. He's not interested in being a side piece or a sometimes friend. The only spot that Christ will take in your life that will work is your obsession. Your whole. He wants the whole thing. He wants the whole you. He wants your whole life. Not just a piece of it. Not just a little bit on Sunday. He wants all of you. You need a healthy obsession. And Jesus is that obsession. Bob and Helen are not agreed in their object of desire in this moment. There's this crisis. Your mother and I, you know, your mommy and I, we are, we are together, united against... against what are they united at? What are you united at? The family's not united against the common enemy. They're not all on the same page. They all have different objects of desire. And becoming incredible means choosing Jesus. Becoming incredible means choosing Jesus as your obsession. And if you as a family want to be incredible, if you want to be on the same page, if you want to hold your family together, if you want to have stability and a foundation that really works, you're going to have to make Jesus the obsession of your family. It's going to have to be the shared common goal. It doesn't mean that you can't have sub-goals under that of things that different members like to do and want to do and want to pursue. But the foundation of my marriage to my wife is our obsession with Jesus and following Jesus. That's it. We, we, were, we were in youth group as volunteers together. And we fell in love while we were serving Christ together. And that's pretty much what we have in common. You've met my wife. We are very different people. It should not work. She has terrible taste in movies. And I'm an idiot. My, one of my obsessions is, is just picking on her. And she puts up with me. And the only reason it works is because we are both obsessed with following Christ. That is our goal. That is the foundation of our marriage. Becoming incredible means choosing Jesus as your obsession. It means building your home on Jesus and building your home on his church. That's what it means. Uniting around one overarching goal to make a place on earth for God to live. To make your home a place on earth for God to dwell. That's what our obsession has to be. That's what our goal has to be. That's what our driving passion has to be. As a husband, as a wife, as a mom, as a dad, as a single mom, a single dad, brother, sister, child, you have to choose what the goal of your family will be. In Ephesians 2 verse 19 it says, Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. And are built 
upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. The chief cornerstone is the, is the block that they put on which everything else will be leveled. Everything else will be made right because of the cornerstone. You can't just change out the cornerstone mid-build. Right? You can't just swap out the foundation of your home because you decided, well, you know, we wanted a little bit of extra over there. We wanted to... You can't just change out the foundation. I'm not a big carpenter or builder or guy, but I don't think that works, right, Mike? You don't just switch out foundations. You don't just change out the cornerstone of your life. Jesus is the cornerstone. You must choose a cornerstone for your family and your home. You have to choose it. If you don't choose it, then your body, your desires, the, your hormones, whatever happens to come by that catches your eye, the new shiny thing, will take up the spot of obsession in your life. We're wired for it. We're just going to grab something and make it our obsession. Because we're idiots and we're wired that way. We're wired to have something be our obsession. That's how God made us. And if you change it out regularly, you're going to destroy the stability in your home. What does it mean to make Jesus the foundation of your family? It means making Jesus and the work that Jesus has called us to the object of desire for your family. It said that, for by grace are you saved, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, Christ's workmanship. We are saved unto good works that God has prepared for us. God has prepared good works for you to do. And when we make him our obsession, then there is work to do. There is work to do all around us to create our home, the spaces that we work, the spaces that we walk, every place we put our foot to become a dwelling place for God where God is welcome. That is our goal. That should be our obsession. It means being part of your local church. It means doing the good that God puts in our path. It means being laser-focused on being a disciple of Jesus. And unless you really make Jesus the priority for you and your kids, then some other obsession will take Jesus' place. And hope will turn to escape, which will turn to addiction. There's nothing wrong with sports, but if sports becomes your family's obsession, it will lead your family to addiction and escape and despair. There's nothing wrong with work or making money. But if money becomes your obsession, your family's obsession, it will lead your family to addiction and despair. There's a lot of great video games and movies and entertainment. But if entertainment becomes your family's obsession, it will lead you to escape and despair and addiction. There's nothing wrong with romance. Loving great relationships is, is awesome. But if your marriage relationship and it being unique, like the ideal movie relationship, if that becomes the obsession, it will lead to escape and despair. There's nothing wrong with sex. Sex is awesome. Sexuality is designed by God. It's created by God. But if your sexual desire and how you feel about your sexuality and, and your body, if that becomes your obsession, it will lead to addiction, escape, and despair. Becoming incredible means choosing Jesus. That means making Jesus the object of your worship. Making Jesus and the worship of Jesus a family priority. That means making church your family priority. Because becoming incredible means choosing Jesus. 
So, this week, I have one question for you, and I'm going to close. This is your homework. I want you to get in family, whatever family means to you. Maybe it's the house you live in with some other guys and a roommate. Maybe it's, it's your husband. Maybe it's your kids or whatever family is to you. I want you to, to ask this. What does my family need to do to choose Jesus this week? What do we need to do? Let's, let's take inventory. Let's, let's look. What, do, what would it look like for us as husband and wife, as mom and dad, as a daughter, as a son? What would it look like to choose Jesus this week, to, to realign our goals? What, do we really, what are we really obsessed about? You want to know how you answer that? Look at where you spend your time and your bank account. What do you spend most on? That's how you know your obsession. Some guys in recovery, recovery is your obsession. That's how you're surviving. It's awesome. Keep it up. You're going to a meeting every day of the week. Yes. What about you? Maybe you're not in recovery, but what, what, do you, what is the majority of your time? Where's your resources? Is it going to do the good in the world around us? What's it spent on? I want to pray for us. I want you to answer this question. I'm going to leave it open like that because I want you to wrestle with it. And next week, we're going to come back. We're going to talk about how do we continue Become a family that's incredible and honors Christ. Let's pray. Dear God, I pray that you would challenge us to really observe what is our obsession. What is the object of desire in our life? What is the goal that we've set? Is it retirement? Is it a certain amount of money? Is it a home, a, a building you know, that we can live in? Is it, what, what is our goal? What is the forefront of our goal? What have we allowed into our family to become our obsession? God, I pray that we would be sober-minded about this and realize that we are hardwired for obsession. We are hardwired for hope. And when we place you in that place, then it's beauty. It is hope. It is inspiring. It drives us to do amazing, good things. But when we allow anything else to take that spot, it just leads us to selfishness and brokenness and despair and addiction. Help us to think about what is my obsession? What, what does my family need to do to choose Jesus this week? Just then, amen.